Welcome to the PCC Podcast, your place for CNS soundbites. Hi, I'm John Shelton, publisher of the Primary Care Companion for CNS Disorders. In this episode, I'll bring you up to date on the important peer-reviewed research and reviews from our latest issue. Let's get started. On average, individuals with major psychiatric illnesses can have a lifespan 25 years shorter than the general population. Unfortunately, psychiatric medications can contribute to weight gain in these patients, thereby potentially contributing to comorbid metabolic conditions that may be related to this decreased lifespan. Within inpatient psychiatric settings, rapid weight gain can result from the combination of medication use, limited activity, and regular meals. This retrospective study quantified the impact of hospital policies put in place to mitigate this rapid weight gain for psychiatric inpatients. The authors found that after the institutional changes, there was a 29% increase in average weight gain for 30-day inpatient hospitalizations. This weight pattern was higher when food was served cafeteria-style. Weight continued to increase even after 90 days. Patients with repeat hospitalizations often sustain this weight between admissions. Clinicians must remain vigilant about monitoring weight gain in an inpatient setting and not assume that the hospital interventions will suffice to alleviate the problem. Weight gain in inpatient settings is not consistent for all patients. Age, sex, body mass index, length of stay, and repeated hospitalizations are only a few of the factors that may impact hospital-related weight changes. Widespread clinical attention to this problem is required to effectively minimize inpatient weight gain while simultaneously maintaining patient autonomy and emphasizing therapeutic goals. Behavioral and psychological symptoms of dementia, or BPSD, encompass a broad range of symptoms of behavior, thought, or mood, including verbal and physical aggression, agitation, psychotic symptoms, and wandering. Over a five-year period, more than 90% of patients with dementia develop at least one BPSD, and these behavioral changes are linked to poor functional prognosis and rapid progression of the disease. A non-pharmacologic approach offers a wide spectrum of supported behavioral, social, environmental, and psychological interventions for both the patient and the caregivers or family. But most of these strategies are rarely practiced in clinical or standard care. Pharmacologic interventions are preferred over non-pharmacologic ones due to the vagueness of guidelines and the extensive range of non-pharmacologic alternatives. Nevertheless, studies struggle to find reliable scientific evidence regarding the effectiveness of drugs used to treat BPSD, especially since they are often associated with high mortality risks. The aim of this study was to investigate retrospectively the proportion of behavioral and psychological symptoms in patients with dementia in a geriatric psychiatric unit and examine the effectiveness of pharmacologic interventions in managing BPSD. In a one-year period, 74 of 437 inpatients suffered from BPSD. The most frequent symptom was aggression. Most of the patients were treated with antipsychotics. The majority of patients showed improvement with or without pharmacologic intervention. 
Nonetheless, a clear correlation between a pharmacologic agent and a behavioral improvement could not be established. A multimodal concept that involves both pharmacologic and non-pharmacologic approaches in managing BPSD should be the focus of future research. Children, particularly in the United States, are at high risk for the development of one or many of the common psychiatric disorders of childhood. Yet these illnesses are often not recognized and treated in an expeditious fashion. Here, Post and colleagues illustrate the polysymptomatic course of such a child who was rated weakly by a parent for severity of anxiety, depression, ADHD, oppositional behavior, and mania. Despite the several pharmacologic and psychosocial treatments utilized, this child remained highly impaired. Given the dearth of systematic studies in very young children with these complex presentations, the authors believe that careful longitudinal ratings by parents will help foster good decision-making and optimal therapeutic approaches. In this article, the authors discuss treatment options and sequences that might be useful in a child with multiple mood and behavioral symptoms. While acknowledging the lack of a strong evidence base, they suggest that mood stabilization should precede treatment of ADHD, complex, multimodal, pharmacotherapeutic, and psychotherapeutic therapies will likely be necessary, and the medications first utilized should be safe and well-tolerated. Specific drugs and nutraceutical adjunctive treatments that could target each of the child's symptom domains are presented and discussed. The authors conclude that careful longitudinal monitoring by parents will help physicians and other clinicians evaluate the effectiveness of treatment and facilitate the desired goal of achieving an excellent response and a sustained remission. Even though psychiatric symptoms are quite common in pediatric NMDA receptor encephalitis, there is a lack of studies in this area. To this end, the authors of this study collected clinical data from medical case records of children less than 18 years of age diagnosed with this condition between May 2010 and November 2016. The Brief Psychiatric Rating Scale for Children was used to assess the severity of psychiatric symptoms. The study included 16 girls and 5 boys, of whom 12 were below age 12 and 9 were age 12 or older. The authors found that all 21 children presented with psychiatric symptoms at initial presentation. In 10 children, psychiatric symptom was the first symptom at illness onset. Major psychiatric symptoms included inappropriate crying, social withdrawal, and unprovoked anger outbursts. Mood symptoms form the most common psychopathology. An associated psychiatric diagnosis was made in 11 children, the most common being organic mood disorder. The mean brief psychiatric rating scale for children's score in children below age 12 was higher than those of age 12 or older. All children followed up showed significant improvement with treatment in 2 to 19 months. Three of the four children with residual psychiatric symptoms and persistent academic difficulties belong to the group younger than age 12. Psychiatric manifestations that are usually mood-related are quite common in pediatric NMDA receptor encephalitis. 
Presentation of this disorder appears to be more severe in children younger than age 12 and may lead to persistent psychiatric and cognitive symptoms. While negative academic events occur frequently in colleges worldwide and often increase risk for mental health-related issues such as suicide, there are few data on this topic. To address this void, the authors gathered data from Japanese national universities between 1985 and 2012. In total, data from 9.7 million students were analyzed. From this data, the prevalence of and the factors contributing to leaves of absence and school discontinuation were examined to assess the current status of these events and identify students at elevated risk for psychosocial difficulties in need of supportive intervention. The results reveal that instances of these academic events have become prevalent over the past decades among Japanese university students. The rates of leaves of absence and school discontinuation for men were consistently higher than that for women throughout the study. Negative reasons, such as apathetic state, were the dominant cause of these academic events. Males, especially those in four-year liberal arts and science programs, were more likely to have negative events due to negative reasons, such as apathetic state. These students were not diagnosed psychiatrically. The author stressed that colleges should watch for absences and lack of credits and encourage apathetic students who may have psychiatric illness to receive psychiatric services. Mental health support targeting gender differences or characteristics of academic majors are needed. This study was supported by grants from the Japanese Ministry of Education, Culture, Sports, and Technology. Many women of reproductive age experience premenstrual symptoms of varying severity. This cross-sectional study estimated the prevalence of premenstrual dysphoric disorder or PMDD symptoms in Arabic women and correlated their pattern with sociodemographic regional variables. 508 women of childbearing age participated in the study. In total, 94 women met criteria for PMDD according to many international neuropsychiatric interview criteria. Of these, 21 met premenstrual symptom screening tool criteria for severe symptoms, 29 for moderate symptoms, and 44 for mild or less symptoms. PMDD symptoms were significantly associated with higher education, single marital status, major life stressors, personal and family use of psychotropic medications, personal and family psychological problems, irregular and painful menses, and functional impairment on the Sheehan Disability Scale. Higher education, major life stressors, personal use of psychotropic medications, personal and family psychological problems, and painful menses were independent predictors of the PMDD symptoms. PMDD symptoms were common and mainly clustered in women with personal and familial psychological problems. This study was funded by a grant from the United Arab Emirates University. PTSD has a high comorbidity with other psychiatric disorders, including mood, substance use, personality, and panic disorders. 
Velazidone is a combination SSRI and a partial agonist of serotonergic receptors that has demonstrated clinical antidepressant efficacy equivalent to SSRIs and may be an effective treatment for anxiety disorders and sleep disturbances. The objective of this study was to determine the efficacy, safety, and tolerability of velazidone in the treatment of PTSD with comorbid, mild to moderate depression. A 12-week, randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trial was conducted in 59 adult outpatients who met dsm 4 criteria for PTSD with comorbid depression. Participants were randomly assigned to receive velazidone 40 mg per day or placebo, and outcome measures were obtained at scheduled visits. Velazidone was generally well tolerated with few reported side effects. However, no significant differences were observed between groups on the primary or secondary outcome measures. These results are similar to those of previous clinical studies of SSRIs in veterans with combat-related PTSD. A clearer delineation of the neurotransmitter and neuroanatomical pathways involved in PTSD is needed to guide development of more effective forms of treatment. The clinical heterogeneity of PTSD merits additional research in personalized medicine for improved treatment outcomes. This study was supported by Forest Labs, Inc. Pregnancy is a medically, emotionally, and developmentally sensitive time. Mental illness can have ill effects on mothers and babies, and some medical treatments during pregnancy may result in deformity or premature birth. Psychiatrists select interventions more carefully when there is an unborn child involved. Also, whenever a mother's illness compromises her health, the obstetrical status or safety of the baby, effective treatment is urgent. Electroconvulsive therapy, or ECT, is a complicated intervention, but it can be helpful when psychotherapy or medical treatments have failed to be beneficial. It is particularly effective in cases when suicide prevention for the mother is critical. ECT is also generally safe for pregnant mothers and their babies. This report presents an overview of ECT in pregnancy and the case of a 28-year-old woman with bipolar mania who responded well to ECT. Sleep disorders are highly prevalent in association with psychiatric disorders, but the capacity for their recognition is often lacking among psychiatrists, and surveys of various specialty training programs have shown gaps in sleep medicine training. The aim of this study was to assess the current state of sleep medicine training in psychiatry residency programs in North America. The results indicate that sleep medicine education in psychiatry residency programs is possibly in decline. Please visit us online at primarycarecompanion.com to find numerous case reports on a variety of topics. You can also read a new psychotherapy casebook article and browse interactive activities from our CME Institute. We update our website weekly with new postings, so there is always something new to explore. Thanks for joining me for this summary of offerings and our current issue of the Primary Care Companion for CNS Disorders. This is John Shelton, signing off. I hope you will join me for the next installment of the PCC Podcast, Your Place for CNS Soundbites.